0: Listen to the best of the Church's music for the Epiphany season at
1: LutheranPublicRadio.org.
0: Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. LutheranPublicRadio.org. Adoption of same sex marriage is not just a moral disaster, not just a social disaster, it's a gospel, it's a theological disaster. Progressive education assumes that humans are inherently good. Thus, education should be primarily about helping humans self-express. That there's inherently good things that need to be brought out of the person.
2: God gives us children so they'll break our stuff to keep us from idolatry. Children force you to move out of yourself.
1: The idea that the church could gather without physically gathering together has no place in the church. Christ did not redeem the church, did not redeem his people virtually, but in reality.
0: Lutheran organists love listening to issues, etc., while shoveling snow.
2: As much as we have talked about church growth and the megachurch movement here on issues, etc., I don't think I've ever asked anyone where it all began. When did it start? We all have a vague idea that these things have been, these giant churches with seeker-sensitive programs, multiple campuses have been around for some time, but how long? Well, it turns out about 100 years. It all goes back to one Los Angeles church and a female preacher there who, well, she found out very quickly that she could combine entertainment And Christian preaching and the megachurch movement was born. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Thursday afternoon, the 5th of January. We're going to talk about the 100th anniversary of the megachurch movement with Shane Rosenthal of the Humble Skeptic podcast. We'll discuss Lutheran and Roman Catholic dialogues with Matthew Block of the International Lutheran Council. Then we're going to spend some time with Pastor David Peterson in part four of our series on marriage enrichment. Shane Rosenthal is a regular guest. He formerly served as executive producer of the White Horse Inn. He's creator, host, and producer of the Humble Skeptic podcast and author of a column titled The Mega Church Century. Shane, welcome back.
1: Hey, Todd. Great to be with you.
2: Tell us the story of Angelus Temple in Los Angeles.
1: I think it's been a couple of years now, but I was trying to think about doing a series of programs on uh, the megachurch movement. That was in the White Horse Inn days. And, you know, I kind of, you know, settled on the Willow Creek and all the different uh, sort of movements that arose in the 70s, basically 50 years ago. And at some point, my seminary training dawned on me I studied under Dr. Robert Godfrey, who is passionate about Amy Semple McPherson and how she influenced American community. She came to the Los Angeles area in the early 1920s and built Angelus Temple in 1923. The doors opened January 1st, 1923, so 100 years ago. And this was a huge, huge facility, over 5,000 seats. But the point I'm trying to make in the article is not the number of seats that was significant about Angelus Temple. There were a number of big churches throughout America and Europe in the 1800s, but uh, nothing quite like this. And the thing that I like to focus on with Angelus Temple has to do with its innovations in the world of entertainment. This was the capital of Hollywood, so she was appealing, Amy supple McPherson was appealing to that sort of new, the world of Hollywood and vaudeville and entertainment, and she brought that spirit into the church. So one of the things she did was she had things like illustrated sermons, and she would come in costume. There were some times in which she came on stage dressed as a policeman in riding on a motorcycle There are other times when she would have illustrated sermons and skits and pantomime and various ways of trying to reach the masses. And it's true that she did draw a crowd. But then the question is, what did she do to change church in the process? And that's the question I try to ask in the
2: article. How in particular did she combine worship and entertainment? And why was that so effective at the time, do you think?
1: Well, this was an an age in which celebrity was just sort of coming on to the scene. It's the early 20s and people were in love with the new media, movie stars and performances and performers. So Amy Simple McPherson had a, just an amazing sort of vaudevillian kind of presence. She had an amazing voice and an amazing captivating presence, we should say. She had a charismatic personality. She actually comes from the charismatic movement and had an assembly of God background. So she had she, she established the four square gospel denomination and something about her approach realigned things so that the focus was on the charismatic leader and the entertaining presentation. So that the people came to see a show and they were captivated by her rather than with the ancient story. They weren't coming to be made disciples, they were coming to be entertained. This is an observation that that I make in the article from Neil Postman, you're familiar obviously with that great book of his uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And one of the things that he says in that book is that the world of television, It's like a super highway to low ratings in that world if you perplex your audience you can't do what the history teacher does in the movie ferris bueller's day off where he's talking about voodoo economics and putting everybody to sleep they had pressure to get it right they had to take the notes or else they'll fail the test there isn't anything like that in the world of television postman says that in that world there must be nothing that has to be remembered or studied or applied or worst of all endured it's simply any information story or idea that cannot be made immediately accessible has to be jettisoned because contentment he says not growth of the learner is paramount contentment not growth and i think that's the missing piece that a lot of folks who are into the entertainment model you can definitely draw a crowd a lot of people in this country are interested in being entertained and when you're mixing religion one of their favorite subjects with entertainment hey that sounds like a good match for a lot of people but the point i try to make in the article is that itself is its own kind of secularization in fact there was a there's a postmodern thinker by the name of brian wilson who talks about this fact that you know he says while europeans were secularized by abandoning their churches americans secularized their churches
2: so let's talk in a little more detail about how the megachurch movement really is a part of the larger secularization it's not obviously the cause but it's part of the secularization
1: yeah the way i try and do this or show this in the article is by interacting with a writer by the name of harry Blamires. Blamires was a friend of c.s lewis and dorothy sayers and he wrote things in the 50s through the 80s and 90s and one of the books he wrote in the 1950s was called the secularist heresy and in that book, he talks about the secularization of a lot of the messages that he was hearing, and mostly he's thinking about more modernist or liberal secularization projects in the mainline denominations, kind of the same thing that Jay Gresham Machen talks about. Back then, it wasn't sort of the kind of liberalism we're familiar with. It was more taking your eyes off of the history and the doctrine, and it was a little lighter. But then over time, it really turned left word into a totally different thing. Anyway, Blameyers is talking about that process, and he says, sometimes you'll go to church, and the question is, is the presentation so relevant, so in touch with this world, that it actually never really lifted my thoughts to the other world? And that's the essence of secularization. The word secular means this world, and if we're only focusing on this world, obviously that's a very leftish thing, right? This world is all there is, and we just want to band together and band for social justice and the voting for the right politician. That's all this world focused. But on the conservative side, you have the same thing. It's your best life now. It's become a better you here and now. It's how can I make this relevant for my parishioners right now, and how can the sermons be practical and relevant? and Amy Sebel McPherson sort of did that. She made it practical and relevant and entertaining in the moment through tickling people's ears and giving them a good time. But the question is, are we making them disciples? Are we equipping them? Are we placing them in God's story, the story of redemption, which is the most important story of the world?
2: Does that explain why so many megachurches, for all practical purposes, have? I mean, you may still be able to find some vague statement of faith on their website, but in practice, they've abandoned the foundational doctrines of Christianity.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the theology is that's the the message from the other world. That's something Blamires points out in sections I interact with in my piece. He talks about if you're going to a church and you're not hearing these central messages about atonement regeneration, references to the sacraments, which bridge between this world and that world, references to justification, those rich doctrines are all about this supernatural reality of this other world and the uniting of the two. So we're justified by the holy God who declares us righteous by his work on the cross, all that stuff. If you're only hearing sort of relevant messages that sound kind of like a a motivational speech then your church has been secularized that's the point
2: what has the megachurch movement over the course of a century done to christian preaching
1: well if you sort of follow the trajectory from amy semple mcpherson you know i actually was converted to christianity from a jewish background my first step was in the calvary chapel movement that's the first church I sort of went to, partly because I heard people in high school talking about Calvary. So I thought, okay, I'll check it out. They had rock concerts and it was kind of a mega church in its day in Southern California. But it's interesting, Chuck Smith had a background in the Foursquare Gospel. He went to the Life Bible College founded by Amy Simple McPherson. So he has this sort of same approach. Of let's meet people where they're at and make it engaging. In his approach, typically was let's do a lot of the rock music, a lot of rock concerts to attract the people in. But as that movement continued to grow and the seeker-sensitive approach exploded, the Rick Warren's church—you know—you could go to different places on his campus that where you, you'll have a Hawaiian-themed worship center. There's a '50s rockabilly kind of worship place, and then there's the I talked to one megachurch pastor once who said, "Yeah, we do have a problem with people coming to church when they're sort of depressed, and we don't have a lot of places for them. I mean, it, there's a lot of happy, happy, joyous worship, but we don't have a lot of places for lament. <laughs> Whereas, you know, you and I are kind of as we think about the Psalms." there's happy, and then there's sad, and there's frustration. Every emotion is there, but this pastor was admitting. So one of his solutions to that was to create a new place on his campus where parishioners could go and reflect in this dark chapel with candles, but there was no gospel. It was just trying to meet people where they're at, but not with the classic Christian emphasis on Christ died he was buried, he was risen again, the thing of first importance. And that message that is there from Genesis to Revelation, which is about Jesus and all that he accomplished for us, when you have an approach where it's focused on the desires, the felt needs of the individual, then I just think that that's a very easy way to secularize your church very
2: fast. Shane Rosenthal is our guest. We're talking about the 100th anniversary of the megachurch movement. He is creator, host, and producer of The Humble Skeptic. When we return, what has the megachurch movement done to evangelism and discipleship? If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Making Disciples for Life. Across the nation, students are back in school in over 1,800 schools serving children in early childhood through high school. Students are thriving in programs of excellence in a safe, caring Christian environment taught by dedicated teachers. To find a school in your community, visit lcms.org schools. Connect today for information about a Lutheran school for the children in your family at lcms.org schools
0: a voice in the wilderness of American evangelicalism, you're listening to Issues Etc.
1: Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons, or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them dial a podcast extend the reach of your sermons get started at dialapodcast.com now life week 2023 with lutherans for life
2: is coming soon and you're personally invited to join in celebrating that you are blessed for life from sunday january 15th through saturday january 21st 2023
1: Go to lutheransforlife.org for more information and for Zoom links. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. <music>
2: Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues etc. We're talking about the 100th anniversary of the megachurch movement with Shane Rosenthal. He's creator, host, and producer of the Humble Skeptic and author of a column titled The Megachurch Century. What has the the megachurch movement done to evangelism and discipleship, Shane?
1: You know, it's interesting. There was a, a study put out by the Willow Creek Association, I think over a decade ago now, Called the Reveal Study. And in that study, they interviewed and polled a lot of people within their church and in their movement. And the overwhelming response was the people in their movement felt stifled and didn't think that they had a lot of places. They just weren't taught how to think theologically, they weren't being discipled, and there weren't a whole lot of opportunities for that. They felt like there was just no growth. So they were trying to address those issues and at the time, but they were very honest about here's what our people were saying. And I think that's the way this goes. If you are creating a kind of Jesus show rather than a, an in-depth process of catechesis and discipleship, I mean, Jesus says at the end of, before his ascension, go to all nations and make them disciples. I mean that word is closely related to the word discipline. And the word that the apostles use a lot is instruct, which in Greek is katekeo, where we get our word catechism. But think about that word, katekeo. In the beginning of the gospels in Greek it's kata Markos, you know, the gospel according to Mark. So, katacheo is according to the echo. That's what the word instruction means in the ancient world. And that in kind of implies you're not just entertaining someone, but you're you're speaking in such a way that they're going to be able to sound it back to you. There's not a lot of that going on. Forget the megachurches in all of our churches. We aren't doing any of this well. We have failed, and there are some books out there J.I. Packer wrote one with Gary Parrott about being grounded in the gospel. All of our churches have got to recover what true discipleship and instruction means. We have people coming into our churches sitting for an hour, but we have very little sort of supervision or sounding back where people memorize the scripture and then they sound it back. Very little of that. But particularly in the megachurch movement where it's just you come for an hour, you sit, you're entertained, and then you go back. You know what? The world is doing a much better job catechizing us into its program than we are making disciples of this world.
2: Talk about the marriage of the megachurch with the phenomenon of the celebrity pastor.
1: Well, that is a fascinating exploration. And I didn't go into it in the article much, but if you think about What starts with Amy Semple McPherson, the celebrity pastor, she even has glam photos that look like typical 1920s movie star kind of photo shoots. If you work your way forward and you evaluate all the different pastors of big mega churches, I mean, I I can think of some in my own community, I can think of some in Seattle, I can think of some in Chicago, where scandal is part and parcel of the package. I was talking to someone, you know, and when I'm thinking of Seattle, I'm thinking, of course, of Mark Driscoll, big, huge, mega church, multi-campus ministry, and issues of scandal had dissolved. But I talked to somebody who was familiar with that because he pastored one of the churches there, and he said to me, because he was involved and saw it from the inside at Mars Hill in Seattle, he said, "Celebrity is so destructive to the ministry. It's." Basically, antithetical. It creates the idea of the pastor, he's the focal point of worship. We just, and it's a cult of personality. And it also is, it's not, I mean, because you have such a big campus, you can't have that sort of pastoral care and counsel. If you have tens of thousands of parishioners, how could you manage that well? Celebrities love the expansive growth. But the question is, are they accountable to people? (laughs) What kind of scandals have all, now talking about scandal, Amy Semple McPherson, in 1923, she builds Angela's temple, 5,000, the doors open in 1923. 1926, she has her own huge scandal. She goes to the beach in Southern California and is missing. She was missing for four or five months. People thought she had drowned. They actually had a funeral for her. And then four or five or something months later, she shows up in Arizona and people were wondering, you know, what happened? She claims she was kidnapped, but there are other questions that she'd ran off with some other man. So it was a big scandal. It It was the thing people were talking about, particularly in California, but around the country in 1926. And there were documentaries about this, but that idea of scandal has been there from the very beginning. And it's there in in the world of Hollywood. It's there in celebrity pastors as well.
2: For many Christians, the Jesus show, as you call it, is all they've ever known of Christianity. What have they been robbed of?
1: Well, if you think about the approach that you see throughout the Bible, the Bible is very let's just just say suspicious about that which we see with our eyes, the eye candy or the show Moses coming down from the mountain and they, they're partying and they're, they're wanting to see, have this golden calf. And it's this longer story that God communicates slowly over time in the history of redemption that culminates in this particular message. That is the exact opposite of a show. It's the thing we want to turn our eyes away from. Christ's death on the cross is not exciting, no matter how hard they tried when Jesus Christ Superstar to make it into a show. The actual story of Jesus is it's just the thing that we want to look away from. But that's where God was reconciling himself to the world. And that's the message when you survey his redemptive message throughout genesis and the unfolding narrative throughout the prophets he was there all along explaining what he was going to do i mean the suffering servant passage of isaiah 53 sounds and reads like a chapter from matthew's gospel before it was you know 700 years in advance so this has the ring of truth and there's no way to explain it apart from it being a real divine interruption in human history so that's the turning point. That's what people are being robbed from. When they come to see the Jesus show, they're being entertained for an hour with light and frothy. It's the, the icing on the cake and with a little bit of kind of Christian flavor, but they are missing the substantive nutritional diet of Christ in all his benefits from Genesis to Revelation and being catechized and formed and grounded in that reality.
2: Some argue that, the mega churches are the only thing holding back the numerical decline of Christianity. If it weren't for us, we're growing, you're not, then Christianity would be much worse off. How do you respond to that?
1: Well, I, I think that part of the problem is that the mega church actually ends up sort of borrowing or instead of actually evangelizing new believers, what people have demonstrated is that people from older churches, I mean, this is my own family experience. My extended family, I have Relatives who were in the, you know, let's just say a Lutheran church, and they get married and they try various other kind of historic churches, and then they end up in a mega church. And as I visit, I say, you know what? Eh, there's not a lot of depth and substance here. In fact, there's only two elements of the service there's just the music, rock concert, like praise music, and then the motivational message, not very deep, and then a little bit more music, and then you're done. Whereas in classical places like uh, the places you worship or throughout the history of historic Protestant churches in in this country, there was the praise and the prayers and the confession of sin and the recitation of the Apostles' Creed and the listening to the sermon, all these different elements of the sacraments, all that gets sort of glazed over and that is a process of secularization. There's just not a whole lot of depth and again, Europeans abandon their churches, but Americans secularize their churches. That's what's happening here.
2: Shane Rosenthal formerly served as executive producer of the White Horse Inn. He's creator, host, and producer of the new podcast, The Humble Skeptic, and author of a column titled The Mega Church Century. You'll find a link to it and The Humble Skeptic at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Shane, thank you. Great to be with you. We'll be discussing Lutheran and Roman Catholic dialogues, especially in light of the death of Pope Benedict with Matthew Block of the International Lutheran Council, next. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the new Concordia Commentary on John, Chapter 7, Verse 2, to Chapter 12, Verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, the new Concordia Commentary on John 7-2 to twelve fifty.
0: It's not about you, it's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc.
1: Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Memoriapress.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Does your tight schedule prevent you from sitting down with your Bible? Do you sometimes find the Bible confusing? Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, a daily 15-minute, verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. You can listen anytime, anywhere, on your commute, at the gym, or while doing housework. Learn more at thewordendoors.org or your favorite podcast provider, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever.